Good evening. So you're glad you're here? All right. Getting ready to switch over to live stream. Let's stand together and sing, My hope is built on nothing less. Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand when he shall come with trumpet sound oh may i then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. You may be seated. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. Sing it. He sendeth more strength when the His love has no limit, His grace has no measure, His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He Ere the day 
Julie to come up and we have a pretty special um, gift we want to give you and it's um, something that she's read and it's an encouragement and we want to have her to sing. Julie and I have been married 44 years. December the 10th will be 45 years. I got married when I was 17. You did? She, she said, you did? <laughs> She rolled her eyes at me. I picked them up and gave them back to her anyway. <laughs> Glad you're here, Julie. Thank you. It is really wonderful to be able to be here with you. I have heard over the years how much Mark has enjoyed being with you and the way you praise the Lord and the way you lean on the Lord. And that's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have a boost like that for those in ministry. Um, a while back, I found something written on Facebook. Believe it or not, there are some good things you can find in Facebook. And then we learn what things to avoid, right? But I, it's so pertinent to what our world is today, and I just wanted to pass it on to you. This was written by a pastor who happens to be our youngest daughter's pastor in Georgia. But I, I hope that you can appreciate this in the way I did. Sometimes I just want it to stop. Talk of COVID, looting, brutality, wars, untruths, the list could go on and on. I lose my way. I become convinced that this new normal is real life. Then I met an 87-year-old who talked of living through polio, diphtheria, Vietnam protests, and yet was still enchanted with life. He seemed surprised when I said this year must be especially challenging for him. No, he said slowly, looked me straight in the eyes. I learned a long time ago to not see the world through the printed headlines. I see the world through the people that surround me. I see the world with the realization that we love big. Therefore, I choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. Then he patted my hand and said, old man makes a new friend. His words collided with my worries, freeing them from the tether I had been holding tight. They floated away, and I am left with a renewed spirit and a new way to write my own headlines. And the thought crossed my mind, God has a way of helping us write our headlines 
in life with him. For instance, young mother introduces her children to the joy that Jesus can bring to their lives. You know, all sorts of things. Just think about how God blesses us in our daily life, how we learn to trust him and see that we can trust him. We don't have to worry that he's not going to come through. Things may not happen in our timetable, but we know that his timetable is perfect. And I'm just so thankful for what he brings to our lives and so thankful for the amazing grace he's offered us. This song may be familiar to you. I hope you enjoy it.
10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun, than when And we'll be glad to sing those praises for the rest of eternity. Won't that be wonderful? Amen. Praise God. When I was in the hospital with, uh, with uh, an OSU with a stroke, the doctor came in and told me, she said, you need to sing because when you sing, left brain connects with right brain back and forth and she said you need to sing and I, I finally got out the words no 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 I'm a horrible singer <laughs> and uh, this intern doctor came up and she said Mr. Duvall it doesn't matter how good you can sing just sing so a few days later I was relating to the one of the other doctors that uh, was there that uh, I said to him, they told me to sing. And I said, it's amazing when I'm in a nursing home that uh, people that are just vegetative state, when you start singing songs such as Amazing Grace, I said, all of a sudden, their face will light up and they will start singing that song. Well, I told this doctor that he was a, a Muslim doctor and I said, I said, that's a, that's a song of the church. I said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And I quoted some of the song and I looked over and he had tears in his eyes. I don't know exactly what he was thinking, but I was thinking God's Holy Spirit is at work in our world right now. God is doing great and wonderful things. By the way, I still can't sing. I make sure that my microphone's way over and, and they make sure they have it shut off back there because, you know, I, I just kind of belt it out. But I tell you, isn't, isn't wonderful to sing the praises of God, thanking him for what he's done. I just believe that God's Holy Spirit is at work in our world. You know, sometimes even the saved and the sanctified lose their song. But just kind of tough things in life. Uh, you know, my wife and I have shared that Sometimes the need of our family that we've kind of lived on the back side of the mountain rather than the sunny side of the mountain. But I tell you what, God is still God, and he is still ministering in a wonderful way. I, I, one more thing I just share with our daughter, 
I, I, I used to get up in the morning, I'd say, rejoice, you know, and, and it was pretty much obnoxious, you know, this is the day the Lord has made, rejoice and be glad in it. Well, our son Aaron, you know, he wanted to hold his ear and he, he, he didn't like that. And so finally, we were driving to school one day and, uh, and so all of a sudden he said, Heather, like dad says, rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And she said, Bubby, my arthritis is really hurting. My, she goes through all kind of a uh, thing of pain. But she said, I am rejoicing. I just don't feel it right now. And so I believe that somewhere, but someplace God is going to work in our lives. Let us go to prayer. We are going to pray for Ralph and Becky's uh, grandson, Isaiah. He's had a move to a step-down unit, I believe. And uh, there's just some things going on in his little life that parents and grandparents and great-grandparents are just not sure what all is going on. But Let's just pray for them. Pray for uh, the missionaries uh, of uh, denomination. Pray for our pastors. Pastors, it seems, are going through difficult times. And uh, we just, just don't know what all is going on in some pastors' lives. The idea of uh, attendances, and they don't seem to be regrouping back from uh, COVID. Uh, and so we just uh, want to pray for them. Are there other prayer requests with the upraised hand? Just say, God, that, that pray for me. Let us stand, if you, if you can stand, and let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you right now for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the life that you have given to us and ordered us. We pray that through the power of your word that you will continue to minister. We thank you for the singing of Brother Mark and Julie. We thank you for the preaching of your word of Dr. Hermes. We just believe that this night is a night when we just want to sing. Sing your wonderful grace. Sing of your matchless grace. Sing of your power over sin, death, and the grave. Lord, we ask that you be with Becky and Ralph and their grandson. We just ask that you would minister to him. Be with Isaiah. Be with Dan Danielle and Stephan. We just pray that you would continue to touch their lives. And we just know that during this time that you are at work in our world. Minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If our ushers would maybe seated, is there, if our ushers would come forward to receive the offering, we thank you for giving. If, uh, if you uh, have not given, if you want to give by the way of your credit card, Susan is back in the back, and she will be able to 
do that right now so that you can be able to give. Thank you for this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who am to death pursued. Amazing grace, how can it be that thou, my God, just die for me? Amazing love, sing with me. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Oh, listen to what he did for us. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of mercy all immense and free for oh my God it found out me amazing love how can it be that oh my God should die A quickening ray, I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free.
even huffing and puffing. I get out of breath just hollering up here a little bit. So anyway, beautiful. Thank you, Mark. You've blessed us night after night. And Julie, I've never heard you sing before. That was wonderful. And uh, you're hiding your talents there in the hospital down there, I know. But anyway, that was beautiful. Good to see each of you here tonight. And I know some of you have been here every night. And what's interesting to me is just about every day, wherever I'm preaching, I get emails and notes from people that have been watching on live stream. And some of these people are in remote places where they really don't get to enjoy camp meeting and the camp meeting spirit and evangelistic preaching. And I can tell you they are starving for God's Word. And uh, they love to tune in night after night. And God bless them. And God bless you. We ought to be thankful for the opportunities that God gives us and uh, his blessing, wonderful presence in our midst. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the Gospel of St. John and chapter 16, and I want to begin reading at verse 31. If you're able, I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. The title of the message tonight is, It's a 9-1-1 World. Beginning to read now at verse 1 of John chapter 16. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's why, Pastor Joe, it's good to get up in the morning and say rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. You may be seated, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Without question, we are living in a 9 one one world. Tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, and one pandemic after another. With many of these disasters, the media becomes comes obsessed with this one question. It's the only time you will ever hear them raise this question. But when there's been a natural disaster, a great tragedy, they become obsessed with this question and they will ask it over and over again. Is this the judgment of God on this nation? Many well-known and highly respected Christian leaders are often quick to respond by saying, yes, we are experiencing the judgment of God 
on this nation. Now, many of these fine people uh, believe in a, the doctrine of divine determinism. It's a doctrine that was developed and articulated by John Calvin, who was the Reformation's first systematic theologian. This Calvinistic movement says, nothing can happen without it being the will of God. Now, however strange it may seem, they attribute everything that goes on in the world as being the will of God. Let me just give you one example. Max Licato, a wonderful man, no question about it, one of the most gifted writers you will ever read. In his book, The House of God, he takes this belief to its logical conclusion when he writes, and I quote him now, the devil is just as much God's servant in his rebellion as he was in his sweet obedience. The devil is God's devil. He is pressed in the service to do God's will in the world. He must do the bidding of the Almighty. Well, my question is this. If God incited Osama bin Laden to plan 9-11, and if God guided the hands of the hijackers as they slipped the throats of the pilots and flew their airliners into the Twin Towers and into the ground and into the Pentagon, killing 3,000 innocent people, and if all the heart attacks, strokes, cancers, plagues, accidents, divorces, wars, rapes, sexual assaults on children throughout human history. If all of this is God's doing, then who in the world needs a devil? And who could love a God like that? Thank God for John Wesley. He saved a lot of us from heresy. Mr. Wesley came along, and with one powerful statement, he cleared up this terrible thinking. And I quote Mr. Wesley now. He said to attribute such atrocities to God is an outrage against his character and makes him more false, more cruel, and more unjust than the devil. He said it would mean that God has taken Satan's work out of his hands and God is the destroyer of souls. End of quote. Thank you, Mr. Wesley. I just need to remind you tonight that God is love. Love is the very essence of his character. If you want to know what God is like, take a long look at his son Jesus. For the Corinthian letter tells us that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, he informs us that we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ. I reject the idea that everything that happens in this world is God's will. So it raises the question, where do these things come from? And why is there so much trouble and heartache and grief in our world? Job said, man is born to trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I would not question the fact that there may have been times when God brings judgment on the earth and on the nations. But most of the disasters that take place are simply the fact that we live in a fallen world. 
Jesus never taught that life would be filled with health and prosperity if we would just serve him and pay our tithes. But he did say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He did say he would never allow us to be tried more than we could bear. He did say, my grace is sufficient for you. So the clear indication is that, yes, we will experience trouble, we will experience sorrow, and no one here would deny that reality. Now, some theologians would tell us, yes, God is love, and God does care, and he really feels bad when bad things happen to good people. But he's just too busy. And he can't be every place at the same time. And these things catch him off guard. Now, that's the liberal's explanation as to why these things happen. What a pathetically small, impotent God that they serve. So please understand this major point. Yes, God is sovereign, but he is not a dictator. He has chosen to not micromanage the world. He chose to limit his sovereignty when he created us as free moral agents. He gave us the freedom and the ability to think and make decisions. It's a beautiful thing called free will. Gets us all into a lot of trouble, but it's the marvelous, magnificent gift of a loving God that he gave to his children. He took great risk when he gave us free will, but he refuses to turn us into mindless robots. Love does not dominate, it liberates. Love does not coerce, it gently persuades. And Jesus chose to never override our will. Thus, he, he couldn't stop Judas from betraying him. He couldn't stop Peter from denying him because he gave us free will. He also put natural laws into place, and normally he does not intervene into the natural laws in our world. Now, he might, and he has, and that's what we would call a miracle, and we do believe in miracles. Now, here's the key to understanding a 911 world. The result of this freedom that God gave us is that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and brought the curse of sin into the perfect world that God created and intended for it to be. Sin is an intruder. Sin is an alien into this world, and we all live under its curse until Christ calls us home or calls his church home. However, it's very, very human when tragedy strikes, we like to ask the question, why? What did we ever do to deserve this, to cause this? I have a friend down in Wilmore, Kentucky. He's a businessman, and one Saturday he had to drive to a nearby town to conduct just a little bit of business, and he was coming right back. So he took his grandson with him. And he said, all the way to the neighboring town, the little guy just asked me, why, Grandpa? Why, Grandpa? Why, Grandpa? He said, I'd try to give him an answer. And he'd say, well, why, Grandpa? He said, nearly drove me insane. I've been there, and probably most of you have. Uh, why, why, why? He said, I took care of my business, and we started back home. And the little guy starts in again. He 
He said, I just pulled the car over. And I said, now look, all the way down here, you've asked me that question, why? We're going to make a deal now. You're not going to ask that question again on this trip. And he said his little grandson looked up at him through his big blue eyes and said, okay, Grandpa, but how come? And that's, that's very human. We all want to know how come, why? And here's the reality to all of this, that all of these things happen because we live in a fallen world. God allows some things that he does not permit. He allows some things that he does not determine, that he does not purpose. And so, therefore, we need to just establish, well, where do these things come from? Why is there so much trouble in the world? Well, let me suggest three places for you. Let's just get brutally honest for a minute. It won't hurt you on a Saturday night for a little while. Some of the trouble, some of the tragedies we get into, it's no one's fault but our own. Amen? That's the reality. If, we, if the doctor tells you, don't eat certain things, it'll make you sick, and you go ahead and do it anyway, and you get sick, don't bother to blame God, and don't blame the devil. It's your fault. You didn't listen to good advice. And that happens so often. Oftentimes we get in a hurry to make a decision and without good information and without really thinking things through, we go ahead and hurriedly make a decision and it ends up being a disaster. It's not God's fault. It's not even the devil's fault. It's our fault. We got in too big of a hurry. These kinds of things we bring on ourselves so there's no need to blame anybody else for our lack of good judgment, our lack of discipline, our getting in too big of a hurry. I have a friend in Marion, Indiana, or he used to live in Marion, Indiana, and he was a professor at one of the local Christian universities. And during the summer, he got to building houses. He found it was a lot more fun and a lot less stressful, and he really could make more money building a few houses every year than he could teaching at the university. So he resigned his position, put a company, a corporation together, and went into business building houses. He went into the house field of housing at the exact right time. I mean, his business just flourished. It just bloomed all over the place, and he became extremely wealthy. Now, the wonderful thing about this man is he was also extremely generous. I remember one time he gave a sum of money to his local church, and they completely renovated that place with the money that he had given. It was a beautiful thing to behold. He gave large sums of money to Taylor University and to Indiana Wesleyan University. And yes, he even gave large sums of money to World Gospel Mission. And he was willing to give of himself, of his talent, of his energy, of his ability, and of his resources. And one day, after a year or so had gone by, a couple of years, his treasurer, his comptroller, the one who handled the finances of his company, who was also a friend of mine 
came to me and he, he said, I, I'm concerned and I don't know what to do. He, he said, I think we're headed toward trouble in our company. I said, well, man, you've got you've to tell our friend. You can't keep this to yourself. You've got to tell him. Okay. So he did. And my friend just laughed it off. Oh, he said, nothing to worry about. You treasures are all the same. You're always blowing the whistle and raising a red flag. I'll just give some more and do some more, build some more houses, and God will bless and we'll be fine. And he laughed it off. It wasn't many months later that my friend went to him the second time. And he said, it's getting worse. And again, this man, he was having a blast. I mean, he bought this beautiful sports car that he just loved to speed around town in. He wore some of the finest clothes. He bought his wife a beautiful organ and a harp in their house. And I mean, he just loved spending money, and he loved making money, and God was blessing him, and he loved giving money. The third time his treasure came to him, he said, I hate to tell you this. I've tried to warn you. But he said, we are bankrupt. Our company has gone belly up. It so embarrassed this man that he and his wife left town in the middle of the night, and they've never been seen in those parts since. He cleaned up all of his messes, but he vanished. He didn't want to show his face in that area. Now look. That wasn't sin. That was just bad judgment, poor decision-making, working unwilling to look at the facts, and he ended up paying a huge price. And godly people make mistakes, and sometimes we don't listen to good advice. Sometimes we think we know better than the doctor knows or better than the people that try to warn us that we're going to head for trouble, and we end up getting in a mess. Thank God he's a God of great mercy and patience and grace. But that's a lot of the trouble that we get into. We bring it on ourselves. Secondly, some of the trouble we'll get into, it's simply the, fault, the fact that we live in a fallen world. Living under the curse of sin, these bodies of ours will always be subject to pain, weariness, disease, and death. Godly people doing God's work in God's ways, break down physically, mentally, emotionally, and wear out. I think of a Bill Borden, walked away from the family business, gave away $23 million that he had inherited to go to the mission field. He'd only been on the mission field a few months, and he contacted meningitis. And before his parents ever knew what had happened, their young son in his early 20s was dead, buried beneath the Egyptian sand. That's life in a fallen world. Leaders that we need, suddenly their health breaks. I will never forget the very first general superintendent that I ever served on was a man that I hope that some of you will remember him, Reverend Lester Benner. 
Esther Benner came to the position of general superintendent at a critical moment in the history of this denomination. He was gifted in his organizational skills, and he was accomplishing some wonderful things for our denomination. And one day he's driving to a place where he's to speak. He has a stroke and an accident. He survived that, but he was never the same. He could never go back into the office. He could no longer carry that kind of responsibility. And all of us were asking, why, why, why? This is God's man. I had the privilege then of being his pastor for eight years and had the honor of preaching his funeral and his wife's funeral as well. But the reality is, every time I'd go to visit him, he would say, don't burn the candle at both ends. Because he said there'll be a crash one day. It was good advice. That's life. It's the downside of life. It's life living in a fallen world under the curse of sin. How many people do we know that seem to have enormous amounts of gifts, but they never reach their potential because they were raised in a dysfunctional home and it left them scarred and they never were able to quite break through to excel the way they might have. That's life. It's the downside of life. You don't have to look around for some strange mystical reason why people get sick and why they die. These things happen. It's life in a fallen world. Sometimes people like to say, well, I guess it was their time to go. Not necessarily, but that's often the way we pass it off. I remember when our daughter died very suddenly at age 22 with meningitis. Some well-meaning people tried to comfort us by saying that God had a special reason for taking her. Well, we didn't find any comfort in those words because if he had a special reason, we didn't know what it was. And he didn't choose to tell us. So we didn't find much comfort in those words. And then there were others that loved to say, well, it, this was to spare her for something, from something worse down the road. Well, we recognize that's a possibility, but we didn't know what that might be. And we didn't find much comfort in those words. And then there were those well-meaning people that had watched way too much television, way too many movies, and they would come to us, well-meaning, say, God needed another angel in heaven, so he took your daughter. Well, look, if God needs more angels in heaven... He doesn't have to go around killing our kids. He can create them in a moment of time. And so, we, again, there wasn't much comfort in those words. And there were many other things that were all said with good intention, but none of them could be validated. So we made a choice through our tears, through our sorrow, through our grief and our pain. We made a choice that we would look at it this way. Someplace, somewhere, Karen ran into a germ, and it germinated at the worst possible time on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, when the hospitals were on skeleton crews, when labs were shut down, and by time they figured it out, 
even though the mortality rate was less than 10%, it had gone into her bloodstream, and in a matter of 48 hours, a healthy, athletic young woman was dead and buried. And I remember standing at her funeral. We couldn't make any sense out of it. It seemed totally senseless. But I remember standing that day and through my tears saying, we choose to stand on Romans 8, 28, that God makes all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And I can stand here today, many, many decades later, and I can, could list for you many, many blessings that came out of those difficult days in our lives. This is one of the reasons, friends, that we need God. Because God is the God of all comfort. And when no one else can reach us, he can. And I've discovered that it's in those times of deepest pain and sorrow and suffering that sometimes the presence of God is most real. He's been in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. He knows the pain. He knows the despair. He knows all about that. And when we're going through a Garden of Gethsemane experience, we do not walk alone, but he is with us. And if we'll put our faith and our trust in God, he will bring something good out of it. Well, there's a third reason, and I do believe that some things that happen to us in this fallen world are direct attacks of Satan. In case you haven't figured this out, saints, he hates you. He, he hates us. Anybody who's doing anything for God, he, he doesn't like that. And it's his plan to discredit us, to destroy us, to depress us, and to divide us. So if you're experiencing trouble because you're trying to do the right thing, hang on. I got good news for you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A good example of this would be the three Hebrew children who refused to worship the king's 90-foot idol. It infuriated Nebuchadnezzar. They were doing the right thing, and Nebuchadnezzar despised it. And so he had them bound and stoked up the fire seven times hotter and threw them in the fire. But I love this story because a little later the king looked in the fire and he saw them walking around. And he said, there's not three in there anymore. There's a fourth one there. And he looks like the Son of God. I've been in the fire, and you've been in the fire. But we're not alone. And in those moments, our Heavenly Father is with us. And he is not going to fail us in those moments. I love the attitude of the three Hebrew children. They said, our God is able to deliver us. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image you have set up. It's wonderful to know, friends, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not water, not fire, not death. 
He said, when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you walk through the fire, the flame will not kindle on you. And even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need fear no evil, for he will be with us then. We don't walk alone. Our Father is with us. Louis Smees was his name. He was a professor for many years at Fuller Seminary. He was one that taught and believed the doctrine of divine determinism. He and his wife went through four fertility clinics, desperately, desperately trying to have a child. After years of frustration, miraculously, she conceived and became pregnant. At six months, she began to lose amniotic fluid. The doctor feared that the baby, when it was born, would be severely malformed. And when that baby was delivered, a very relieved doctor rushed into the waiting room and said, Lou, Lou, you are the father of a perfect man-child. Can you imagine the joy that Mrs. Smeads had that day when they placed that precious baby in her arms. She just wondered if she would ever have a child. Now there's the child. And there was celebration and rejoicing. But less than 24 hours later, the hospital called and said, come immediately. But before Dr. Smeads could get to the hospital, the miracle baby had died. And he made this statement, and I quote him now word for word. He said, on that day that our baby boy died, I knew I could never again believe that God had arranged for our tiny child to die before he had hardly begun to live. He said, I'm no longer able to believe that God micromanages the death of little children than I can believe that it was God who managed Hitler's Holocaust. He said this powerful, heart-searching statement with one morning's wrenching intuition. I knew that my portrait of God would have to be repainted. Ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the reasons Jesus came, to repaint our distorted picture of a holy God. And a lot of us have a distorted picture that we have picked up over the years and where we can best see what God is like is in his son Jesus. We need to look full in his face. Oh, yes, bad things happen to good people in this fallen world. And one would hope that those situations would wake people up and cause them to turn to God. But when we attribute everything that goes on in this world as being God's will and God's judgment, I can tell you it causes some people to reject God and turn away from him. Their response is, if God is love and if he truly exists, he would not allow these evil things to take place. And I would remind them, God didn't plan these things. He created a perfect world. But when Adam sinned, he brought this awful, dreadful curse on the world. And that's one reason God sent his son, to reveal himself to each and every one of us. 
And the beautiful thing is when he came, he provided a way to heaven where there's no more curse and where there's no more night and where there's no more tears and where there's no more pain and no more suffering and no more sad processions in and out of the cemetery. So let's stand with those three Hebrew children and say, our God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, we will still serve him. You can have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. I think I'd be wrong to tell you everything's going to be coming up roses from now on, that we've been through enough the last couple of years, but that would be a lie. The reality is the devil's still on the loose. And as long as he's on the loose, we're probably going to have some pain and disappointment, some sorrow along the way. But the grace of God is sufficient. Not might be or will be, it is. What we need to do is just stand up and embrace it and believe it that his grace is sufficient. I'll just close with this. I used to hear my father tell this story years ago, so it's an old one. He would tell the story of, of a young mother who died, leaving her husband and her little girl. The day of the funeral goes by, and now all the guests and family and friends have left, and the house seems so empty, so cold, so dark. As father and daughter start up the steps to go to bed, the little girl looks at her father and said, Daddy, would you carry me up the steps? And he was torn up himself, and he could pretty well imagine what she was experiencing. And he said, no, let's just walk up the steps together just like we did when Mother was here. They get to the top of the steps. She said, Daddy, could I sleep in your room tonight? No, he said, I don't think that would be best. You sleep in your room, I'll sleep in my room just like we did when Mother was here. So he took her in his room, her room, tucked her in bed, prayed with her, kissed her on the cheek, wiped the tears away. And as he was walking out of the room, she said, Daddy, it seems so dark in here. Could we just leave the light on tonight? No, he said, I don't think it would be best. Let's just turn it off like we did when Mother was here. He turned the light off and went to bed. And in the darkness, the little girl called to him one more time. Daddy, when I asked you to carry me up the steps, you said it wouldn't be best. And when I asked if I could sleep in your room, you, you said it wouldn't be best. And when I asked if we could leave the light on, you said it wouldn't be best. But Daddy, would you just turn your face toward me? Yes, honey, you can't see me, but my face is turned toward you. I'm watching over you. Now go to sleep and get a good night's rest with the assurance that even though she couldn't see his face, that he was looking at her, the little girl fell asleep. I think we've all been in some nights like that when if God was there, we couldn't see him. We couldn't feel him. We couldn't feel his touch. But I want you to know that in the darkest of nights and in the deepest of valleys, 
and in the deepest, greatest trouble you'll ever get in in your life, God is still on the throne. And he's not just the man upstairs, but he's watching over you. He's looking at you. And he's promised that his grace would be sufficient. That's why when we get up in the morning, we can sing, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Mark, Goldie, would you come and let's sing that chorus together and let this be a moment when we just tell the devil to flee from us. Resist him and he'll flee from you. If he's been on your trail, rebuke him and just believe God to, be, to give to you the grace that you need for every day. Stand together as Mark leads us in this beautiful chorus. Because he lives, I, I can, can face, face tomorrow. Because he lives. Because he lives. Yes. All fear is gone. Is gone because I know. I know. I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Tell you what I want us to do. I want us to sing that chorus one more time. And if there's somebody here tonight that you've been under a, a really heavy load and the burden is pretty heavy and you'd just like to be prayed for, if you'd like to come down to this altar, we'll have a closing prayer and ask God to give you the strength and the grace that you need to face the tomorrows because he's already out there. And he's already trying to get us ready for whatever it is that we face in the tomorrows. So let's sing it again as a witness, as a testimony. And if you feel the need for prayer, because just come. He lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives. He lives. Yes, yes. All fear is gone. Just, just because, because he, lives. he lives. Sing it one more time, if you will, together. Because yes. he lives. Amen. Amen. I can face tomorrow. Blessed be his name. I know. I know he holds, he holds the future. future. And there is a future. And life he is, a, is worth the living. living. Yes. Just because, because he lives. lives. Amen. Thank God for these that are here. I'd like for the church to just come in around these wonderful people and friends that we love and respect. 
Only God knows what all it is they're going through. But could we just come and surround them and have a united prayer together? Only God knows the pain, the frustration, the hopelessness, the despair that's all around us. And it's in this building tonight. His grace is sufficient. Remember this, it won't be or may be or will be, it is. And it's right here now. Let's just join our hearts in singing. Father, we thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ that kneel at this altar tonight. We have been through some pretty tough days, some dark days. And there are those here that kneel here tonight that have been through some of the deepest waters that they've ever gone through. And the fire is hot. And the floods are overwhelming. But we're thankful that you're still God. That you're not only the God of the mountain, you're the God of the valley. And you are with each and every one of us. You promised you'd never leave us nor forsake us. You promised that your grace would be sufficient. We're counting on that, Lord. We're depending on you, not in our own strength and our own wisdom, but we're depending on you. And I just want to thank you, Lord, for these that are here. Would you just reach out to them right now, Father? Right now. And touch them. Lift the burden. Give them hope. Give them peace. And may they sense your presence. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Mark, could we sing that chorus again? Sing it, if you will. Because he lives. Amen. This is why we can face tomorrow. Yes. Amen. Because he lives. Yes, amen. All fear is gone. God bless you, Janice. He loves because you. I know, I know he holds the future and life is worth a living just because he bless you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Lord Jesus.
listen. How sweet the sound. Yes. Amen. you honey God loves you amen God bless you and I know you love him amen amen 10,000 years bright shining as the sun yes the sun we have no less days to sing God's praise Sing God's praise, God's praise than when we than first when begun. Amen. Thank God that he's the great load lifter. and He knows how to lift the load. He knows how to give us hope when there doesn't seem to be any hope. When everything just looks bleak and grim and black, but he gives us hope. There is indeed a better day coming. Let's be faithful until that day that he calls us home. Now, here's the good news, folks. Tomorrow morning, almost all of you belong to a church where they have Sunday school. We need a revitalization of Christian education. And we need to get back into Sunday school because we need the teaching and the training that comes through God's Word. So try to put forth an effort to be in Sunday school. I know some of you would never miss it. And I know some of you haven't missed it for a long time. Why not try it again and come and just believe God? And then at 1030, the gospel will be preached by our pastor here and by our pastors across the district. And it'll be a great Lord's Day. And then if Jesus tarries, we'll look for you here Sunday night, 6 o'clock, right? And I uh, appreciate so much the leadership of our district superintendent. Uh, Joe and I, we developed a special bond when we were in the office together. And I know he's a godly man that is mightily used of the Lord. And I've appreciated your leadership in these days. Now let's just have a closing word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting with us tonight. You know exactly what we need and when we need it. And you've ministered to us tonight. Now, you know those that are still carrying heavy burdens. Would you just lift that load? And even as they're on their way home, may they find themselves singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And give us a great Lord's Day tomorrow. Call across the denomination and down at the Nipchin camp meeting, wherever the gospel is preached. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Don't forget to stop by the table and buy some of those beautiful pictures. Thank you. All right. Amen. Hmm.